Major Donald E. Kehoe, a retired Marine Corps officer, insisted that the Air Force knew more than it was telling. We are being observed by some type of device which is far ahead of us and is probably controlled by a highly advanced superior civilization. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gons. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Canary Cry Radio. My name is Gons, and we have a very special guest today. Gons, hello? 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 Gons? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hold on a second. All right. Hello? Yeah. Okay, now I can hear you. Whew. Okay, well, I'm glad I got here on time. Awesome. I got your message this morning. Yeah. I don't know what you're doing calling me so early. Yeah, I left you a message at 11 a.m. Your time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What are you doing calling me so early? <laughs> you know, I, I operate at night, man. That was uh, my prime sleeping times, 11 a.m. Yeah, It's like well, midnight to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, next time I'll make sure to call you uh, after lunch, uh, bright and early for you, so you're so you're awake. I'm awake. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um. Yeah. So I made it. So. Are so you, are you are you back? In, are you, uh, no. 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 I'm not back. No. You're I'm, you're still. I'm I'm far away still. Yeah. Um. But but as your message said, we had a very special guest today that I just couldn't pass up yeah if you couldn't make it then i i probably would have i know i know you couldn't have handled it without me gons i know you just rely on me on such a as just your spiritual and emotional anchor and um i won't let you down again well you've already <laughs> let me down you know more than once so you're gonna have to uh do something no, here i'm here to make it up to you man if you want to step it up and you know well, you know, I'm just just following the wind, and um, <laughs> so oh yeah, we have a we have an audience too. Hey, everybody, um, this is Basil, and I'm back uh, for now. Um, still out and about in the world, but are we you have gonna, such are you a, gonna give uh, give away any of your you know what your mission is? I know you said no. you're on a mission this last episode, but you didn't really. Uh... Give no, I detail. can't. You can't. What do you, why? It's too soon. Too, too soon. soon. Too soon. No, but what I can give away is I was just about to talk about our guest for today. Okay. Yeah. And maybe hidden somewhere in the conversation will be some talk about what I'm out doing. Oh. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll just decide to drop some. Um, so, okay, anyways, today we've got such a wonderful show that I've worked so diligently and um, hard to uh, connect with Gons on today to um, talk to this very special guest whom we all know and love. Uh, some of you may be familiar with him. And Gons, what is his name? Stan Deo. Very smart guy, incredible, tremendous story, and he's just going to go over it a little bit with us today. We got a lot to talk about, so I don't know. What do you say? I say we dive into the conversation. And for those of you who don't know who Standeo is, he's the author of a book called The Cosmic Conspiracy, and he's held above top secret security clearance and worked undercover for the FBI. 
he was a part of an exclusive black project headed by Dr. Edward Teller, specializing in the development of flying saucer technology. Yeah. So, and this guy has had, yeah, this guy has had adventures and has been in situations that would make uh, James Bond pale in comparison. Yeah, James Bond has nothing on Stan Deo. And he's also fake, and Stan Deo is real. He's definitely real. It's an incredible thing. So um, here we go. All right. Interview with Stan Dale. Visit standale.com. Are we going to fall into the ocean here in, in California? You know, California is uh, definitely going to have problems. And I've, I've been watching it now for several months. Um, the, if you look on the USGS earthquake map, you know, at some time when you get a time, a chance, You'll see over the last month that there have been, in fact, even longer now, um, huge numbers of Richter 5s are better all over on the western side of the Pacific and down into as far as northern, well, like in, in Fiji and in through the Krakatoa Trench or, you know, over into um, um, Singapore and that region there. Now, these big earthquakes are like four or five to one occurring on the western side of the Pacific and a few of them down uh, across on the southeastern side of the, of the Ring of Fire in in South America. But they're moving toward the United States uh, from both directions, from uh, north of Japan heading over toward Alaska and from South America and Central America moving up our way. So I suspect sometime this year we're going to see some ripper earthquakes up wow. along the California coast and Oregon Will coast. You- you just uh, provided me with some more ammo to my T-chart on um, trying to decide whether to move out of California or not. So thank you for that. Gonzo, I tell you what, I, I wish I could get everyone that was thinking and, and really, you know, good people out of there. We've, we've got a num- number of friends over there, and most of them, one or the, the husband or the wife, you know, doesn't want to move, and the other one realizes they need to. But it's right. going to be going to be difficult over there yeah yeah well, that's I, tough stuff yeah it's definitely <laughs> a challenge but yeah it's, it's it's difficult to try to to drop everything and, and try to figure out job situation i mean there's a lot of stuff to consider in that with that oh there so. sure is yeah. admittedly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I, i'm no, keeping an eye on earthquakes and, and i try to to um give people as much warning as i can some of these bigger ones have been sneaking up and coming within eight to 12 hours after i forecast them so oh, wow. we're not getting go. much lead time well there you go that's some um, i'll remember that next time you come out with a an, an urgent call yep okay so you want to just get started here Gons? yeah let's do it well stan uh you know there's been several interviews that you've done where you've gone through your story and I mean, we don't have time to go through everything, but is there a way you can sort of walk through some of the high points and perhaps some of the low points even of your experience? Because uh, it, your story is just, uh, I mean, it's almost unbelievable. It's one of those things that I think maybe in the future, one of us will make a movie out of, you know, it's, it's yeah, got that kind, of, uh, that kind of uh, story to it. So can you give us a, a highlight or a quick run through of, of what you experienced and what got you into the, the exposing of the Illuminati and all the skullduggery, as you call it. So everybody, everybody knows why me and Gons are so excited. Well, um, I guess on the the idea of the Illuminati, um, my father first got me interested in that in about nineteen 
1959 or 60, somewhere in there we did it. And um, he'd been a, a base commander at the end of World War II over in Iran at Tehran. Um, and he uh, didn't get out of the, well, actually, technically, he was dismissed from the uh, Army Air Force to become a private citizen uh, with a bunch of his guys on the base there. They all resigned and became one of the first black ops running over there in the Middle East before the CIA formed. They were they were under OSS, and uh, were their paychecks were being sent over after the end of the war for two years by Howard Hughes. Wow. Um, and they were holding off the Russians, keeping them, bluffing them, letting them think that we had an American presence there on the base so that they wouldn't invade the oil fields before our you know, White House guys realized that it was important to guard the oil fields. Wow. Anyway, so Dad was, uh, you know, in the forefront of seeing that there were things happening behind the scenes that did not agree with what the current administration of the White House wanted. And in investigating, when he came back, he found out about the Illuminati. And um, he, uh, of course, taught me. I was I was getting older then, a teenager. And um, I got firsthand to stand beside him and uh, watch him work with the uh, H.L. Hunt, Hunt brothers, uh, Lamar and uh, Bunker T. And how they fought to wake up America against the Illuminist takeover of this country. So it was inbred from that point forward. And wow. uh, that's how it started. And um, I went off to the Air Force Academy and came back to Dallas and trained in computing at IBM and was leading a somewhat normal life, still aware of what was going on, but discovered a way to make a flying saucer um, work very efficiently. Whoa, whoa, and whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! That's some, that's a that's a big detail to just sort of slip in there. Well, you know, at home, at, at uh, there in Mesquite outside of Dallas, I had uh -huh. uh, built a, a den where I did my research into what I was really interested in, which was anti-gravity and making faster aircraft, and also um, ways to to grab electricity out of the air free. And okay, uh, so that's a that's a productive pastime, I think, for a youngster. It was. Um, <laughs> some unusual things happened, though, that, you know, they're not going to happen to the ordinary fella, I guess. But, um, and, and I have to give credit where credit's due. I, I nearly died in 69. I got an infection of some kind of a microbe or bacteria or something. And they um, treated me at the hospital one night with acromycin 4, which was an experimental antibiotic at the time. And right. uh, I, I, died and left my body that night at home. I went back home and uh, I was, um, you know, um, on my own there in the, in the apartment. And uh, good Lord, I, I left my body, went out and re did a life review and was, you know, on my way to being permanently gone from here. Fascinating. And something pulled me back in. I'm, I'm shortening the story and the details of it for, you know, another time. But Right, I would imagine. When I came back into my body, the things that I was shown out there and the knowledge I had started to spill out over the edge of my body. You know, I couldn't contain that in my body when I came back into it. I, would, I felt it slipping away. And I had answers to things like, how does the universe work? What makes galaxies work and, and gravity? And, you know, uh, Einstein's equations were playthings uh, out there. But back in the body, <laughs> you know, it wasn't quite so simple, but I knew there was things I left out there. Right. And while I was out there, I was somehow or another, you know, programmed to write the cosmic conspiracy. And uh, if you knew how much I hated uh, 
literature in English in school. <laughs> You'd understand the gravity of what I'm saying, but <laughs> right. Well, an ex an experience like that could uh, help you overcome some of those uh, dislikes. Yeah. I think. Well, things started to happen after that, and uh, the wife and I got back together. We'd been separated for a few months, had a bit of a disagreement, and uh -huh. we got back together and uh, bought a house out in Mesquite, and I started dreaming at night some strange things, like I would be dreaming equations and solutions and stuff, and uh, seeing flying saucers in colors expand like in a 3D CAD CAM program and rotate to my thought as I want to see how does this work, where does that go? and galaxies. I mean, it all started to come back in dream form. And one night, down in the, uh, it was near Christmas time, and uh, uh, the wife and I were, this is my former wife, uh, Marty, we were sitting down in the, the den, and um, which was my lab as well, and I had a blackboard there by the desk. And I'd been trying to figure out how light, which is obviously a waveform, propagated from the sun to the earth. And I'd drawn a sun up on the blackboard and an earth off to the right, and a bunch of little dots, which represented atoms of something, to transmit this wave over to the earth. Right. And I, I had been reading a book uh, that evening by um, uh, a biography on Albert Einstein that one of my staff had given me at the office as a Christmas present. And in there, I was reading, and... I, you know, he said he'd had trouble figuring out how light propagated through empty space, and I went up to the blackboard and tried to figure out with graphics how it might happen. And I, I thought, I, what am I doing? I can't compete with Einstein. And I erased the board and sat back down, and I picked up the book, which I was enjoying, and it was like it was written in Russian or something. I could not understand a word I was reading. My mind could not read anymore. And I said to, to, to Marty, I said, gee... I, I I can't read this book. I can't read. What's happened to you? Know, my mind has gone funny. She said, well, whatever you're working on at the board over there, you go back over and finish it. Obviously, you're not finished over there. <laughs> so I said, right. And I went over there with a piece of chalk in my hand. I thought, I'll put the chalk up on the board. Maybe something will come to me. And as I put the chalk up on the board, I looked at my hand, and it was the chalk point was in the middle of a perfect, Eraser dust portrait of Albert Einstein from the sun. <laughs> and and I, and I looked at that and I thought, I said, Boy, I've, I've, I've gone off the deep end. <laughs> I, and I turned around to Marty and I said, uh, Look, um, uh, I want to ask you something. She says, Well, before you do, who's that picture up on the board? Who, who, I said, You see that, do you? And uh, then, you know, things kind of progressed after that. And I was approached uh, by. A representative of Dr. Teller's group, and at my office, they knew more about what I was doing than I did, and uh, they explained they'd already had anti gravity by that time, and huh. uh, wanted me to join their team down in Australia, and uh, I did, and took the family down, and we uh, experienced a lot of other exciting things down there. My control officer down there was Captain Sir John Williams, who was knighted by the Queen of England, and he had a file on me an inch thick by the time I got there, and. Uh, Time passed a couple of years, and we parted ways because I realized that they were hiding technologies from the people that needed to be let out. And what really got my attention was one day at lunch, Sir John took me over in Melbourne, took me over to the Melbourne Club, where all the the uh, the hoity-toities of Australia kind of ate, you know, the political power group on the uh, kind of conservative side. Okay. And uh, I was I was uh, surprised to hear him say that he. Um, didn't like uh, the Jews because 
course, my father was Jewish, and I thought, right. okay, is that a direct insult, or did he just not read my bio properly? I don't know. Right. right. Anyway, um, he and Captain, or sorry, he and Sir uh, Henry Somerset were talking, and we had another guy there from the University of Tasmania, and they were talking about some nebulous group moving in on us, and um, and you know waved his hand in the air, and I, I thought it was like the European economic community they were worried about, and it wasn't. Eventually, I found out it was this alien business they were talking about, but. Anyway, I was sitting in the middle of this this cafeteria there, this dining hall inside this Melbourne club for the elite, and I looked around, and there were probably 85% of them with cotton tops, you know, white-haired old guys with cigars and port, and, you know, the, the typical, you know, British Raj-type collection of bodies around the room. Right. And... Uh, they changed the conversation at the table real quickly when I asked about East, uh, the European Economic Community and said, no, 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 that's that's not what we're talking about. Anyway, within a few months, uh, we had parted ways because I was pressing them to release certain technologies to third world countries to let them have access to power and water uh, cheaply to uh, grow food and survive. And uh, right. Uh, the, I didn't understand that their plan was to um, allow several hundred million people to die by attrition, so no blame could be pointed at them. And I did eventually get to intercept the CIA uh, courier uh, coming out of the Middle East, uh, sorry, coming out of, uh, of uh, Asia. I think it was out of the uh, Asian Institute for Advanced Studies there. And uh, he allowed me kind of looking the other way to get a document out of the, the briefcase that was handcuffed to his wrist. And I got to see the document where they, how they were going to, to let a um, hundred million people die over in India uh, using this, this grain loan. Wow. Business. And so, you know, it suddenly, uh, it dawned on me. <laughs> I've been working with people that are manipulating governments and uh, peoples and technology. And these are the Illuminati I'm working with, you know, oh. Smart fellow here. I, you know, it took me a while to figure it out, and then when I did, um, and did leave the organization, and I, I tricked them. I, I left, and for a few months, I worked uh, in a civilian job uh, there in Melbourne. You know, uh, uh, in a fast now, food. I'm sorry to interrupt, but how on earth did you did you get out? Did you you said you tricked them? Yeah. Well, you, you don't really get away from them entirely, and um, but. Uh, they destroyed all my records, gave me copies of things, and said, now then, do what you want to them with, but, you know, you never existed with us, and um, we don't know you anymore. And I thought, right, well, I'll have to get a job and work now, so I, you know, work for a civilian thing, and I was working in a, um, a Mexican restaurant fast food thing that a friend of mine worked in, and um, I uh, was paying my bills that way, and I sent the wife and children back to the States uh, for safety because I knew that things were going to go south pretty quick. And um, one of the, a president of one of the corporations that this teller group owned came to see me at that Mexican food restaurant and, and asked to have private lunch with me upstairs in a room by ourselves. And so I went up there and we had our lunch and a couple of really good bottles of wine, and I was pretty pliable at that point. And he said, <laughs> Look, uh, you know, we, we decided that maybe we'll put you back to work at, and um, we'll we'll build a laboratory for you down at the bottom of a mine shaft we got over here uh, in Ballarat, just up 65 miles out of town, in the middle of nowhere, so nobody would kind of suspect what you're doing. And you can work on your energy development there, and we'll 
you know, it's about several thousand feet deep. And so we can run the antenna wire down to you instead of running up in the air where everybody could see it. And you can have your own lab there. But you can't tell anybody you're going there. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, okay, yeah, right, okay. Can't tell anybody. I'm going to be at the bottom of a several thousand foot deep old gold mine. <laughs> and uh, all the equipment up on the top to get me up and down could disappear. And then I'd be trapped. <laughs> oh, actually, actually, I would die. I, well, you know, I remember after you know, a whole bottle of wine uh, on my side, uh, you know, of the table, I thought, oh, oh uh, yeah, this doesn't sound exactly kosher. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I thanked him very much. And um, it took me many years after that to figure out that had they wanted me dead, really, I would have been dead. Right. What they were doing was um, because of the the overthrow of our bases that was coming, they knew that the, the alleged aliens that were sharing our base facilities underground with us were going to take over the lab. They were already starting to kick up the storm and there was, uh, you know, fights between the humans and them. And so I, they were letting me, and I heard about another guy like me, they sent off to England the same way. They were letting us escape, destroying all records of our presence so they couldn't track us, you know, the, the, the critters. And that we would have the information to tell people what had happened when the organization was overthrown. And um, so, but I didn't know that at the time. And so I ran and uh, I figured out a way to get away at midnight one night without telling anybody except the guy that was my friend there at the restaurant. I, I uh, gave up my apartment, uh, which was a house really, and I uh, uh, started staying at the restaurant. And um, then one night after we'd finished about midnight, I packed up my car and I shook hands with Tom and I said, Tom, I'll let you know where I am when I get there. Thank you very much. And he knew what was going on. And so I drove all night uh, halfway across the country and um, stayed there with some hippie friends I'd met who were, you know, long haired dope smokers with sunglasses and stuff and beads. And, you know, <laughs> they were they were a good cover and I could travel with them. And I, I spent several months here in a, a safe house with them. There was a friend of theirs and grew my hair out and had a bandana on it and wore the sunglasses and the hippie-looking clothes so that I could just disappear in a crowd. I'm sure and it that was a good look for you. Well, you know, it I could really imagine worked. you. Well, it, it was it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I grew this beard and uh, I've kept it since then, kind of in memory of those days. But I can tell you that uh, when you dress like that, you know, poor white trash scum or whatever you want to call that look, uh, I'd walk downtown in Adelaide, you know, where that was where the safe house was. I'd walk downtown and decent folks with, you know, suits and dresses and stuff would walk by and they wouldn't see you. They would look the other direction because you were such an offense to their eyes. So it, it was a great disguise. And, uh, anyway, I did get away and get over to, uh, to Perth and, uh, um, there I found um, that I was protected by the uh, ASIO branch, the Australian Security Intelligence Organization of um, West Australia. They kept the other guys off my back, and they even killed one guy that, was, that broke into their headquarters uh, to get my file. He had my file in his hands when they shot him. Ooh. And um, I had a bodyguard or two over there. One had been the former um, uh, bodyguard for the Prime Minister of Japan when he came over. Um, and another one was an army guy that carried mother under his left armpit, which is a really nice 45 automatic. And he accompanied me when I did public speaking over there and they let me 
let me live, but the U.S. corporations uh, wouldn't let me have jobs with any U.S. companies there, so I had to eventually um, find my own way and, and work for small companies over there. And, uh, oh, long story again, but I did eventually get uh, cornered into doing a, a tell-all interview on Channel 9 there about my involvement in the Teller Project. And the film you're about to see has taken our investigation team six months to research and assemble and has involved them in a trip around the world. We have met the people at the heart of the UFO phenomenon and it is their opinion that UFOs are here. When that aired, it became the highest rating documentary they'd ever had and publisher came and wanted to write my book for me and it got to be too hard they burned out three writers and editors and gave it back to me after i told them i'll i'll do it myself and that's how the cosmic uh -huh. conspiracy was written wow wow i mean it's it's just an amazing amazing story and you know you hit you mentioned so many tremendous things story. <laughs> there's so many things little things that you mentioned that i want to pick up on and one of them is that you had mentioned these so-called aliens in, you know, the underground bases working with the government. Can you tell us more about that? Did you see any of them? Did you, did you uh, come across people talking about them? How did you find out? Oh, about, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of the, some of the guards, uh, I mean, the, we weren't allowed to know much across lines of research. They, it was very compartmentalized and, and mine was on plasma, uh, plasma craft rather than anti-gravity. But, um, I talked to, um, a couple of security people. One was a South African that was working on the team. Another was an English guy. And uh, they told me about, you know, their guard details and stuff in England and elsewhere. And in West Germany, in the tunnels where they were testing after World War II, they, they picked up some of the German uh, discs and um, actually had, um, oh, like, um, little railway cars that were flat, you know, like a, a service car on a railway track underground in some of the, the abandoned tunnels uh, that, you know, uh, the Germans had built. And they would mount a test disc, uh, you know, an electrogravitic disc uh, sideways on it so that it was on its edge. And the, the saucer shape, the dome of it would be pointing down the track. And one of the uh, guards told me, he said, I was standing there when they, they first tested that. And he said, it would weigh about four uh, tons. And uh, they said, okay, clear the track, stand back. And uh, he said, they pushed the go button and there was a brief flash down the other end of the track I was watching, he said. And before I could turn my head and follow to my right and down to the end of the track, it was gone. It oh had flown, gone that fast. It went right past him. He said, you didn't hear a thing until they hit the brakes down the other end. Wow. And then, you know, one of my British security guards was telling me about the um, the critters that they captured in England, one of the craft crashed and broke up off the English coast and they retrieved two or three of them alive. Um, and um, then there was some testing after the fact, some uh, reverse engineering uh, that we did, our, our people did uh, on their craft. And he watched the uh, a new crew take off one of them uh, from a cradle there at the test area in England. And he said, I was watching it and he said, the the uh, the disc lifted up slowly, just very slowly off the cradle, and kind of like a, a, a leaf in the wind, it kind of went to the left and to the right, and then it stopped, stabilized, took a new direction, it kind of tilted in a direction where it was going, and he says it was gone, and behind it was huh. circ circular rainbows followed it in the, in the path it left wow. in the air. 
He said, <laughs> yeah, really a beautiful sight, he said, but I didn't see it, and I, I didn't meet the aliens. Well, none of the little gray critters, because you'd never forget that if you did, but um, I suspect there were, there were two people I met, uh, a man and a woman. They were humanoid, but they were tall, and uh, they, I felt in their presence kind of like a mouse would be in a cage with a, a big cat, you know. Um, wow. I, I was threatened, but I don't know. And they, they looked they looked completely humanoid. They looked like regular people, only taller? Yeah, and there's a manner about them that is intimidating. Right. Uh, it's hard to explain, but uh, as though you're nothing but, but fodder in their way, you know. Um, wow. uh, anyway, it... Um, now, uh, and I may have met others, but after that fact, didn't know it. But the, um, the most of the information I got on the, the alien situation was by word of mouth from guards or other people involved that were out of the project. And getting them to talk over the years was an interesting trick. But um, anyway, they did, and we did share information. And I got more information from one of the security guards who was assigned to the anti-gravity division. And uh, I'd known a bit about some of it uh, before I left the organization, but these the the security guards' information absolutely showed me how to do it. You know, uh, the circuit diagrams and whatever he drew, and uh, getting him to talk was uh, like a death sentence to me. He said, "I you've bothered me now." He said, "You've you've you've, you've harassed me for months. I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to give you one hour, and you can answer ask any question you want about what I saw." And what's going on. But after that hour, I don't want to see you again. I don't want you to say my name or I will kill you. Wow. We'll be dead because they'll come after me. And before they get me, I'm going to get you. And we, uh, he'd built a, a, a shielded room, a metal room and uh, in his business and, you know, just James Bond type stuff. And we went in there and uh, he gave me an hour. I could ask anything and write down and call anything. <laughs> And that was it. Just James Bond type stuff. Oh, well, look, I, it's, just it's that. amazing when you think about it. <laughs> wow, but anyway, amazing. aliens. Now, the alien thing is an important issue. It's a very yeah. important yes. issue because this is going to come out in the public fairly shortly. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have a false flag alien invasion, uh, alien presence. They're, they're actually going to admit the presence and they're going to offer us help to get rid of the little gray critters that have been abducting everybody and, and hurting them. But here's the truth behind this. Those gray critters were being built or grown here on Earth by the humans. I was saying about those, those human beings like us. Taller, stronger, healthier, nice looking. But uh, as far as I can tell from what they described, uh, the, the security guy, the, the skin of them out in the sunlight, if you get their skin and, and, and rotate their hands, say, in the sunlight, you will see a slight... Um, rainbow kind of irradiance on their skin because it, instead of like normal cells like we've got they've got little scales you're and, talking about the the taller yeah uh, now they they built these these little gray critters they're they're like uh, mm, cyborgs uh, they, um, they they were created for a specific purpose okay. to to go and uh, do genetic testing uh, to uh, grab humans and crossbreed them with various things to produce an army of beings that are human-like but can house the the intelligence, the spirit, the soul, if you wish, of of these uh, disembodied uh, people, like they're in a parallel universe. They want to operate in our universe, operating right. avatars. Mm. And and the right. little great critters were 
just designed to get the information for that and to, to help build a new kind of human, a hybrid, which was basically soulless, could be controlled by these beings in the, in the parallel universe. And these records, if you look in, in the ancient Hebrew and uh, Sumerian texts and stuff, you'll see that they are mentioned and uh, as the watchers and people like right. that. Right. And they had good guys and bad guys in that. And the good guys, in my opinion, are the ones that uh, helped Moses and Noah and stuff, you know, and, and they, they support the established order that God has set up rather than the, the rebellion, which is um, being played out here on the earth. Right. And, and the earth is, in our presence on it at this point in time, is more or less like a, um, a virtual courtroom to resolve the challenge that uh, Lucifer made to the Elohim saying, I want to change the order of the way we do things in, in their world, our, their parallel universe to ours. And he, uh, the Elohim God said, let's not destroy our, our uh, dwellings here and our people by having a war between us. Let's go down and try your theory here in a, a model here uh, in a virtual reality, which is earth. It's virtual to them, it's real to us, but anyway. And these little gray critters uh, were, were made, as I said, by the fallen ones that were cast out to run this uh, courtroom here, were made to prejudice the results of the, um, the trial, if you wish, the, the, the uh, testing of the, the, the way that Lucifer wanted to run the heavens. It, anything that happens here is not gonna hurt the heavens and, and the, the parallel universe. That's why it's done here, no collateral damage. Mm. And we've talked about this in, in, in the military for a number of years now, since computers have come in, about having virtual war uh, in computers, right. uh, you know, so that we don't have infrastructure damage. And whoever wins the you know virtual battle is the champion, uh, hmm. which makes sense. But that's what that's what we're living in is one of those things that happened a long time before we were created. Yeah, yeah, and I think we actually did an episode on that too. Uh, we the, did. Yeah, we're at that point now this year where the, the situation is gonna become so dire for the people of Earth, not just America. We're gonna have an economic catastrophe worldwide. We're going to have, we're already starting to see the droughts and the food shortages that will come from that. We're seeing the threat of an absolute third nuclear, or third war, which will be nuclear starting in the Middle East. We're seeing posturing for that. Um, Iran against Israel, the United States is going to have to go over and help Israel and Obama doesn't really want to do it, but he's going to pretend to be good and do it and all that kind of stuff. What we're going to see here in the United States is a preemptive strike by the Russians and by Hezbollah, whoever else is allied with them, to ruin our infrastructure to the point that we cannot go over and impede the Russian uh, support of Iran and, and invade uh, Israel. All of this is going to happen within the next year, I'm reasonably certain. And wow. you can just, I mean, if now, you don't, sorry, if you don't even look at the Bible and just look at current events, you will see that we're headed for war on a big scale. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see that the weather has gone, you know, chaotic uh, extremes and climate changes are happening. All these things you can see without having read the Bible once. That does make you, though, want to look for a way out. Right. This. Right. The alien deception that, you know, I've looked at, Basil's looked at, and, and a lot of the researchers we've interviewed and talked to, a lot of them tend to agree that, you know, they're going to appear sort of as our saviors, if you will, you know, the our helpers. And that's going to be the great deception that's talked about in the Bible. And the Bible also talks about, of course, you know, those whose names were not written in the book of life. 
And, you know, it's, I think it's interesting because I thought, you know, the Bible talks about people who blot their name, their own names out. And so when it talks about, you know, those whose names are not written, it makes me wonder. And then you talk about these tall guys that are not exactly human or they look human, but they're not exactly human. They've been here for, for a long time. I'm, I'm presuming. Is that kind of where you're at with who these people sure, are? And, sure. Sure. Uh, and so they but, are the quote unquote, Beneha Elohim that we read about in Genesis six and, and yep. so on. Yep. Yeah. Look, they're going to be a hard act to, to discredit. Uh, on on the the day that they come and say, look, um, we were there at the crucifixion, you know, um, right. Jesus, Jesus was, uh, you know, a prophet that we put in here. Um, and in fact, let us show you um, actual video or, you know, images we've stored in holographic form right. of the crucifixion itself and what Jesus really looks like and that kind of stuff. And we were there. We've moved forward in time. We, we don't age like you do. And uh, we're here to help you. And it's going to be a hard act to discredit when it happens. But before it happens, all of us who are saying, watch out, there's a great deception coming. We can say that now and it won't be sour grapes. It will be a warning that people can look back on and say, these guys knew beforehand and they're not just saying sour grapes. This was prophesied. So that's why we're all being led by the spirit, I'm sure, to, uh, to release what information we have, from the different vectors we're coming from, to warn people, don't believe when they come to help us, they're going to get rid of the gray critters. They're going to be heroes. They're going to get rid of those abduction guys. And, you know, they're not, not uh, widely or, or, or well thought of in the universe. These little gray critters, they'll say, and we're going to get rid of them and we're going to help you. And we're going to help your economy. We're going to set up a one world government and fair food and water and shelter and, and provision for everyone. And it'll be a wonderful golden age. It's going to be hard to argue against that when that happens. You know, just hearing you talk about it gives me goosebumps because it's it's one of those things that I felt so passionate about ever since I've come to understand these things. And, uh, you know, for example, I was looking recently at the 10 kings that are supposed to, you know, be given one hour to rule with the beast that, that's in Revelation. And it's interesting because John in that passage talks about, you know, they have not been given authority yet, which seems to suggest that they were already alive when John penned the book of Revelation and, right. and they, you know, they may be just kind of hanging out wherever, uh, flesh and bone, maybe not flesh and blood, but flesh and bone, wherever underground bases or wherever. But let me ask about the technology a little bit. What, what is the, these technologies that is, that is being suppressed? And is this part of the, the holding back of the technology? Is that also part of the, the grand arrival, if you will, of these aliens, they're going to unleash this technology and it's, it's going to be again, you know, difficult thing to, I guess, debunk when it, when it happens, because science in, in general is going to be confirming a lot of what these quote unquote aliens are going to be preaching. Is that, am I kind of on track with that or what's your thoughts on that? Well, to a degree, um, understand that, that early in the peace, just after World War II was over, that, uh, the world leaders at the time, the Illuminists, uh, some of them were already into the dark arts, but they were trying to figure out how to bring the nations, uh, I think there were 180 some odd at the time, uh, the nations of the world together into a manner that we could all agree and have a uniform, you know, code of justice and economy and uh, dollar, you know, dollar would be the same in any country and, and work conditions would be great. But they couldn't figure out how to get these 180 nations to agree. Now, we got 247 of them now, but at the time they were looking at 
you know, less than 200. And they knew that they couldn't uh, force people because Hitler tried that and the French resistance proved that wouldn't work in the long term. And they couldn't, um, uh, you know, get people to agree the League of Nations had failed and the the emerging United Nations concept wouldn't work because they, they couldn't get that many people to agree on giving up their sovereignty, right, you know, that right. many government. Yeah. So they figured that the only way, the alternative three, was to fool the people into bonding together to face a common enemy that's so powerful that if mankind didn't bond together, he would be destroyed. Hmm. This is going to be, you know, the blue beam, the false project, whatever. Right. But that was the the early discussions as things progressed in the uh, late 40s, early 50s, and uh, the great critters and some of the tall, you know, Nordics met with our people at Holloman Air Force Base and elsewhere. As that happened, the game changed and the technology that they, they were already suppressing on our side became even more suppressed as they started exchanging people and testing for technology from the uh, alleged aliens. Now, I don't know how many of the Illuminists really know where these beings came from, but at that time, they probably thought, boy, this is a lucky break because instead of us having to do the world government all by ourselves, here's technology already ready-made. Mm. Now, for it to work, the technology had to uh, be hidden from the public so that it looked like something that no Earth person could have done. It came from no nation, backed by no politics. No, Okay. It had to be completely independent. Mm. All right. That and makes that has more to be sense, off-world, so. you see. And, 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 of course, Satan thinks that's great because he gets to play the part of little G God, you see. Right. And that's what Daniel speaks about in the book of Daniel. Um, I've addressed some of this in just uh, retranslating eight verses out of Daniel, and I put that in the end of the, uh, the final edition of the Cosmic Conspiracy in 2010. And I went to great pains. It took me three months to translate just eight verses because there's a lot of external historical lookup and all that kind of stuff to find what Daniel was saying in code. And in essence, um, our world leader will have those 10 kings you're talking about under him. Now, whether they are you know, beings from a long time ago or whether they are earth men that are appointed to that position now, I don't know. But I do know that in, the, in, the, in Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, where he's talking, looking at the statue, you know, gold and, and, and brass and, and silver, all this stuff. Down at the bottom are two iron legs, which uh, extrude down into two feet, which have toes of clay and toes of iron, right. ten toes altogether. It doesn't say how many are iron or how many are clay. Right. The clay, when I translated that portion uh, of that, uh, that vision, the clay does not mix you know, the, the iron does not mix with the seed of man, as iron does not mix with clay. Right. They were talking about the mixing of the gene pool between the aliens and the, um, the mankind, which was the clay vessels, the fragile little clay vessels. Um, now, there are ten toes there, and I think those are going to be the ten kingdoms that are on the east and west side of the revived Roman Empire, the two legs of iron, which was, was the Roman Empire. It'll have the western side heading from oh, about Turkey westward, and the eastern side goes over to China and Asia and that kind of stuff. The 10 regions of the planet are already mapped out, and they were in 1978 when I first wrote The Cosmic Conspiracy. Right. On, on page 200, I have the map of the 10 regions that will have 10 kings. So this is not 
to idle speculation. We have known for some time what they're doing and why they have done it and the computer modeling that went into it by the Meadows Report and whatever else, the Club of Rome. Um, it's upon us. It is all laid in the background waiting for the moment for the new world order to emerge. And even Dumbo, the Vice President Biden, has been talking about the new world order in the last couple of days. <laughs> the affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create... Uh, uh, a new world order, because the global order is changing again. And the institutions and the rules that worked so well in the post-World War II era for decades, uh, they need to be strengthened, and some have to be changed. So we have to do what we do best. We have to lead. We have to lead. We have to update the global rules of the road. We have to, we have to do it in a way that maximizes benefits for everyone, because obviously it's overwhelmingly in our interest. This is not a zero-sum game. It's overwhelmingly our interest. Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> oh, I, I, I say to Holly every now and then, uh, get, did you see the off-ramp from Earth somewhere? How do we get off of this place? <laughs> Now, I, I do want to um, get a little bit more specific when, because you talk about the aliens and then you talk about the uh, deception and you talk about the game that's being played. Now, what exactly would you, getting into detail, call the aliens in, in sort of the, in reality? Well, they're the rebels out of the, the existing order that God has in the parallel universe to us, which is you know, around us everywhere, but at a different frequency. So they can right. see us, we can't see them. And they are the rebellion that has come through. Uh, okay. I think more of them will appear suddenly very soon, um, being cast out of that area for the final battle here. Right. Okay. Now, what sort of connection exists between sort of an extraterrestrial slash extra dimensional thing? Is it strictly extra dimensional or do you think there's some sort of extra terrestrial um, component involved? Do I think that there can be other life forms spread out through the, the universe that we know? Is that what you're saying? Oh, I mean, I, I guess I was specifically referring to the aliens that you've come in contact with. But, um, well, they are beings that have come through the gateway. Um, right. Ezekiel saw the flaming chariot descend out of the sky. Uh -huh. um, and Moses uh, you know, talked to a burning bush and couldn't look directly at God or, or the energy of looking at the energy of God would destroy him if he faced him direct on. Right, he had right. to look at right, a projection. Right. Yeah. Uh, and this is, this is how I understand the physics of it uh, in that the energy density on every atom in our world, as I say, is one. And you go through the, 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 the membrane to the parallel universe or concentric universe around us. Right. And you, uh, you would have to warm your atoms up to the energy density that they're at. Right. And, which is why when angels from the, the uh, God's parallel universe to us come through the membrane into our area, uh, they are glowing and hot and flaming uh -huh. because their atoms have to discharge the energy and come back and normalize to our level. That's why stories of ghosts coming from underworld are cold in the room because they're sucking energy out of our level because mm. they aren't at our level. Interesting. It is. It is interesting. It is very uh, interesting. Now, there's a growing disparity in the energy density between God's universe around us and our universe. Uh, so much so that in the old days, the time of Noah, God could walk with Noah have a chuckle with him, walk through the garden with uh, Adam and all right, that kind of stuff. Right. By the time he got to Noah, uh, sorry, by the time he got to Moses, he couldn't do that without hurting Moses by his presence. So the disparity in the energy levels are growing 
And as Revelation tells us, in the end, after the, the millennial period, the heavens and the earth that we know will pass away, but right. a new heaven and a new earth will replace it. And I think this is where the merger of our will be absorbed into the upper level because we're no longer needed here in this right. form. Right. Right. Now, that's the spectacular explanation of that. And um, a big thing that we like to talk about here is, you know, we talk about the spiritual and the scientific all, kind of, you know, in, in one pot here. Um, is there anything else kind of like that that you've come across or that you could, uh, that you spend time explaining that you could share with us in regards to sort of a um, physics explanation to some of the more spiritual I don't know, miracles or manifestations that, uh, okay. Um, you know, the, the, this virtual reality, this virtual courtroom was set up so that it was, we were to, mankind was to uh, break free of God and to go our own way following Satan, uh, and, uh, try to use his method of building a workable, um, community here on the earth to show it could be done in the heavens. Right. Well, okay. Now, in the beginning, um, I'll say back uh, the beginning of Israel, when uh, they uh, left the uh, uh, Egyptian imprisonment they were in for 400 and some odd years, when they made the Exodus, uh, a group of us did a study of that over many, many months, um, and retranslating the Hebrew of the, uh, uh, the Torah in that, in that section of it, about the the miracles that happen as they cross the Reed Sea. The first really interesting thing there is it's, uh, you know, Pharaoh and his chariots are up on the ridge and they've got Israel trapped with the, uh, the Reed Sea, the, the arm of the, uh, the Red Sea, but it's the Reed Sea, it's right. a shallow sea behind okay. them. And, and, and Egypt, uh, you know, up on the ridge ready to come down and get them. Well, the Bible in English doesn't tell you this, but in, in Hebrew, what happened was something descended over the entire nation of Israel at that time there on the, on the shores of the Reed Sea. And it descended in a cloud form, high winds, high winds. And it was a thin layer of wind so that the Egyptians could see these, the nation of Israel. Israelites could see Egypt, you know, the, the Egyptians, but they could not harm each other through that wall of wind. It was, it was around them. Now, modern science has, has proven that, that tornadoes and hurricanes form a thin wall of spinning air around them and that the vacuum that everybody thinks happens in the center of a tornado isn't there. It's in that thin wall. In essence, hot, warm air, dry air comes down through the, the tornado and hits the ground, spins around and goes back up around the outside of the funnel. And right. that's where the vacuum is, is in that thin wall. That's why huh. Egypt couldn't get to Israel, and Israel couldn't get to them, they couldn't hurt, hurt each other. But this was so big, this, this funnel, that it, it went clear across the Reed Sea, that little branch there, you know, you know um, the Suez Canal type thing. It went right. across that area, and the, the easterly wind they're talking about, Israel was on the shore side, so to them it was easterly wind, and meant the thing was spiraling clockwise. It was pressing down on the, the Reed Sea and forcing the water out beyond the envelope of the, the, the tornado, if we call it, or the super cyclone. And Israel okay. was inside of a protective tornado in that area. Now, again, historical records show that in that area, even the Greeks knew about it, 
in that area, there were there were frequently uh, cyclones or typhoon typhoons or you know hurricane type things that formed because of the the winds and, and the and the landmass in the area and the heat and the cold. They even named uh, a reed in the area Typhonus, uh, which you know was like a typhoon. It was a, a, a hollow reed that would um, you know suck water up. Uh, anyway, that's uh-huh. why they did it. Now uh, the reed sea, you see, typhoon, typhonus. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, Israel is inside this thing, and the pressure coming down forces the water down and, and dries the seabed, you know, down to the point where you could walk on it and bring your wagons and stuff, and you wouldn't sink. So morning comes, and uh, Israel starts to go across the other side. In this place. Men cannot fight against a god. Better to die in battle with a god than live in shame. Raise God and down into it! We're talking about a lot of people, a lot of uh, livestock. So they go marching going across over the other side, and Egypt is really, you know, furious. They're, they, they can't get through the wall of this energy and stuff. They can't get into the water with their chariots and their, their guys. So they're chomping at the bit to get them. And as Israel moves over to the other side and the last tractors are moving over, the funnel starts to move with them. And right. as it moves over, covering them, Moses is standing on the other side holding his staff there saying, you know, okay, come on, come on, I've got to drop the staff here shortly so that the funnel goes away. And is, uh, Egypt is now seeing that they can go out onto the dry uh, seabed, so they start racing out to go get them. And they get out about halfway, and of course, as the pressure is removed, all the water flows back in from underneath first, and it, it binds the wheels in quicksand. And they can't move. That's why I said their wheels broke off and they couldn't get out of it. They couldn't move their feet. They were stuck in it. And then the waves on the surface came in, whoosh, picked their bodies and their chariots up and threw them back onto the Egyptian side so they didn't bother the Israelis. Right. Now, this was using the physics of our earth that God used to perform that miracle. And Amen. It, he wasn't bringing any magic to it. It was simply, you know, using the things that he set in this world in the virtual reality that were allowed to be here. On the other side, after three days travel, Israel is, is thirsty. And they say to Moses, hey, if you brought us out here to die, there's nothing here but just desert and no fresh water, all this brine from the sea. So what does Moses do? He says, okay, have these young men get these kind of pieces of, of wood, go up into the hills there and get these, these poles of wood and throw them into the middle of this salty brine pool that you say we can't drink and it will make it pure drinkable water. So they throw it out into the air and down into the, the, the salt water. Fresh water just wells up into it and fills the whole surface of it with fresh water. Now, how did that happen? People didn't know. We found a military map of that area, uh, one to 100,000 scale, and it showed the military where they could get fresh water in under, under desert uh, wadis, you know, the, the dry river bits have water underneath them. And we found out that right close, to, uh, you know, just up in the mountain, um, inland from where these bitter water ponds are, that there was a snow melt that occurred and it, it flowed fresh snow water down into the wadi, through the sand, up underneath the brine things and formed an inversion layer where you had salt water on the top and fresh water bottled. And as soon as the logs hit it, they broke the inversion layer. The salt water being heavier fell down to the bottom through the middle and pushed up fresh water. And there it was, a miracle, wow. but still wow. using the things that God set in motion for all of us to use. 
Right, exactly. So these are some of the things that, that you find by going into the original language. And, uh, you know, I, I never cease to be amazed at what I can find, you know, reading into the, the Bible that way. Um, they're just... Uh, they're encouraging well, that, things too. So. Right. No, per, I mean, that's just perfect. I mean, um, at least personally, that's a big thing for myself is, you know, it, it's the, the stuff you hear about and the stuff that still happens is it's not magic. It's all part of the plan and it's all built into, uh, you know, the physics and the universe that God gave us here to uh, work within. And so that's really encouraging to hear things like that. And uh, I'm glad you and your, your cohorts there have, um, been able to uh, open that window for us so we can get a little bit more insight. Well, it's certainly been a, a, a pleasurable experience for us uh, to sit around the table <laughs> and, and debate these things. It's been many years since I've done that, but um, right. uh, it is, it is, uh, it, it makes right. your faith a lot stronger. Amen. Well, Oh, you got some, uh, I just wanted to, to ask real quick um, what your thoughts are on, you know, we just have a new Pope and I don't know if you know about Tom Horn and Chris Putnam doing their work. When the disclosure effectively happens, is it going to be ships over the major cities of the world or is it going to be more like NASA making an announcement? How do you see this thing coming down? Is it the world governments just, you know, stepping out onto a podium and saying, hey, we're not alone or... This is this is going to be a surprise to the Illuminati as well. They're they're thinking that when the uh, the aliens you know make their announcements, it's up the world government that the Illuminists are all going to be rewarded. But they are traitors and uh, they are a problem. And as soon as Satan takes over, he's going to disappear. A lot of these Illuminists and people are going to cheer because they're getting their just due. Right. And uh, that's that's one big surprise that's coming for them. They're they're dead meat. Um. The other surprise about uh, the technology and how they're going to announce it, they will come in their craft, and they're going to be big, like the, the one in the, the Phoenix Likes uh, right. issue. You know, they're, they're going to be you know, half mile, mile in diameter. And our physicists will say, that's impossible. Nothing can be made to travel that fast and to be that big and support itself over such a distance because there's nothing made on earth, no material that would support the, the, uh, the tensions as this thing starts to move, it would fall apart from its own weight. Right. Impossible. Of course, they're not factoring in localized gravitic nodes all across the bottom, which give you a, a, a uniform gravitational field across the whole thing. That's going to impress most of the scientists of the world and saying they're not from around here. Right. That's, right. We believe it. They're not, you know, an American secret project or whatever else. They are real. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I was alluding to earlier, I guess, that the science, they may not make, it may not make sense, but then once they see, I guess, the, this new quote unquote physics or the, the technology, they will approve of it in a sense because they'll say, oh, I get it now. This is uh, yeah. Yeah. advancement. You know, this is the unified theory coming together. You know, this is what Einstein is, is sought and all this stuff. So yeah, I think I think it's going to be a very powerful deception. But I mean, obviously, you know, we're we're here trying to to warn folks. But what what's the best thing that you think we can do? We can continue to do, I guess, to warn others. And and what has been your experience? Um, just getting the word out. I mean, I, obviously, I'm sure you've had your your you know haters <laughs> you oh, know, yeah, emailing or calling or whatever. But uh, but what do you recommend that we do? Just in light of this information, and how do we how do we go about evangelizing to the world? 
Well, what you're doing, making a platform and bringing the discussion is reaching people you need to reach that uh, that will uh, use your avenue, your your venue to gain knowledge. And uh, you'll educate certain members of a family and they will in turn try to talk to their other family members and probably get rejected and whatever. But the trick is to have, you know, good, solid teaching about the technology, about the the reason for the deception, and just keep putting it out there. I mean, um, Holly and I are just two people, and we reach 180,000 people a month on the Combiner website. Um, and, you know, we couldn't do it by ourselves. The good Lord does it, and people out there helping do it. Uh, shows like your own are, are taking information from our website and saying, look, read this, see this. This is what it's all about. Um, one thing you want to watch and this is a timing thing for when this revelation of the alien presence is going to be made, is it will come at a point where the people of all the nations of Earth are seeing imminent doom and, you know, uh, uh, an immediate end to their life, and they want to have someone help them solve the problem. Now, mm. we, we are, you know, movies and and. You know, the Internet have been warning people about an asteroid impact. We had a couple of meteors that uh, were pretty exciting here recently. It came in the atmosphere. Um, and so they're thinking, well, you know, we could get hit by a meteor, but that's not the immediate thing. The immediate thing is I don't have enough money to feed my family, and there's not enough food out there even if I've got it. And shortly there's going to be more disease spreading through the, the planet, and that's going yeah. to worry people. At the height of these various stress curves in humanity – we're going to be faced with the um, uh, nuclear war in the Middle East. And an atomic war, uh, everybody has been conditioned to see that that is not going to be good. And when they're about ready to push a button, people are going to be saying, wait, 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 hey, come on. And it's not the governments. It's going to be the people that are crying out for this. Mm. And with the, the, the Catholic, uh, with the Vatican at the moment, with this new pope, recognizing aliens can be baptized and getting us ready to meet aliens, he is laying the groundwork for people, the common people, to say, well, have they got the answer? Can they help us? Do we trust them? Well, sure, that's okay. They're, they're God's uh, creations too. And all of this is going to have to come to the forefront and, and all these different crisis curves meet and the people of the earth saying, help us, and they appear over our cities, just like in the, the movie in the series V. There's been no contact with any of the 29 ships now hovering over the major cities of the world. My name is Anna. Don't be frightened. We mean no harm. The newly opened visitor healing centers are drawing huge crowds. The V's heal me. It's amazing. Standing by to go to air. Don't ask any questions that would portray us negatively. Afraid I don't have a choice. This interview is now cancelled. just get here. They've been here for years. They've been printing fake docs, passports, IDs, best fakes I've ever seen. What's embedded among us, they set out to cause worldwide instability. C4. They've been implementing a plan that will result in the extermination of every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth. Resistance. You have to fight. Uh, well, Kenneth Johnson wrote that 
uh, the, the books on that, and then they made the movies, the document or the, uh, the the series on that. And he used so many biblical references in there indirectly that right. uh, it, you you couldn't help being a Christian. You couldn't help seeing what he was warning people about. They're going to come looking like us, but they're really reptiles underneath. They're really serpents. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And and the thing that beat him in the movie that got him to run away was that they had the blood of a half human half alien child it was a girl in this case instead of jesus but that blood the extract from that blood they spread it out by balloons and it ran away all the bad dudes the aliens and they're right. just reference after reference in there that that if you know uh, the bible it was a way to hit the secular market and say here's a situation that you might be uh, aware of or might be wary of uh, when it comes and uh, we've had since the 1970s now, then from that uh, uh, book and that series and stuff, to have that soak into our, our mindset. So I'm warning people, be careful. It is upon us very shortly. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, no, uh, V, unfortunately, did not last very long on television, but um, did follow it. And uh, some of that stuff was was very blatant to me as a as a Christian. But... but um, the, the timetable you talk about it being so soon, you know, I could understand is probably a little bit alarming to some people, but obviously we have nothing to worry about as, since we know the truth and uh, we can place our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ and uh, the salvation that we uh, receive through him. Um, now, uh, in the context, I mean, what are you working on? Now, I mean, is uh, is there anything else that you uh, are currently focused on? Any new um, projects or uh, what do you got going on now? Oh, I've always got a few projects on the thing at once and so does Holly. Uh, we just don't have time to even have date day anymore. And <laughs> that's that's bad. I mean, it's been, you know, several months of that. And yeah, it's yeah. been probably seven years since we even got to take a week off and get out of town. So. Oh well, we we're both just up to the eyeballs with with projects and um, you know helping people. They some call and they they want to know should they move out of this area or do this or do that. And right. some have a crisis of faith that, that we have to spend time talking to. But my project at the moment, and Holly's got a project on a book she's working on, and I'm working on uh, slowly uh, the my second paper, which will be a small book, electronic book on the nature of gravity and how it really works and um, take the mystery out of gravity. And uh, Well, I'm looking forward to that one. I'll tell you that much. A lot of people are. And I'm going to say, I think in this, I, I've changed my mind. I'm going to go ahead and say in this some of the details about how you make um, a gravity coil, how you make anti-gravity using electricity and magnetism. Oh, please. Uh, I was shown, actually, uh, photos of the inside of the assembly area for the 30-foot diameter craft that, that our guys were building. And they showed me the cross-section of the hollow core and uh, the flat wire cables that they wrap around it to take the current and uh, you know, how it's distributed. Anyway, that wow. I, uh, I'm working on that paper. I've been working on it for two years now, then making animations and things so that you don't have to be blinded by equations. You can see how it works. Right. And... Um, the other thing which is allied to that is a project I'm working out the backyard here to um, make several ways to get free electricity out of the atmosphere or relatively cheap uh, electricity using high voltage uh, 
generators, high voltage motors, and also a uh, auto resonant antenna, which is wound with a bifiller cable. All these things take time and uh, away from you know private time here, and right. uh, it's just I have to squeeze it in and. You know, my mind is just kind of scattered between projects all the time. And, and Holly will sit there, and sometimes I'll be looking off into space, and she'll say, okay, which one is it, you know? Well, <laughs> today I'm working on bifiller filaments. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get that solved. And, oh, my goodness. <clears throat> but that's what I'm working on, so... Right. Well, amen. Those are some, I mean, those are some exciting things, at least for me to hear about. And as a fan who would be uh, waiting for some stuff like that, you have my permission to take a day off, Stan. <laughs> I will give you that. All right. And if anybody asks, you can just say Basil said it was okay. Baz told me it was fine. Oh. There you go. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Well, we all do what we can. I'm sure you guys are under the gun a lot in your life trying to do this show and other things at the same time. Absolutely. But uh, be encouraged. I We know the end. We've already read the end of the book, so we know where it's going. <laughs> we, we do know how it ends. Oh, yeah. Well, Gons, you got anything over there, buddy? Well, we just really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us. Hopefully, you'll come back again and, and we can... Uh, especially when that paper comes out, we can dig into some of it. I know Basil's been trying to build a UFO in his garage for, I've, you know, I've been tinkering away just, that's why I was so excited to hear, you know, you were able to at least get a, some sort of motivation as a youngster there, but, um, I'm not having so much luck. <laughs> yeah. I'll be wait. I'll be waiting for your paper to, uh, give me a little bit of a head start on some of that. Are stuff. you into electronics at all? Yeah, very much. Do you, um, you remember then, well, obviously you do, but um, you can put a current into a coil right. yeah. around an inductor core and yeah. you can put a DC current in, but as soon as you break the contact, depending yeah. upon the speed at which you break it, it generates a high voltage back EMF. Yeah, yes. Okay. Did you know that if you wound that coil with two filaments of wire, but a bifiller, in other words, if you were to take, say, 100 feet of wire and bend it at 50-foot level, and so that both ends are on the same in your same hand, but you've got a loop way out there 50 feet away, right. and you were to wrap that coil around that uh, inductor and then put a direct current through that, that it will still have inductive reactants to itself, but you will have no back EMF. Really? Which means I, that you can then I, switch between that coil and another coil wrapped around a torus right. with a break in it, and you can uh -huh. start stacking energy. And that's the whole secret Ooh. of electrodometics. Oh, uh, see, I knew I just had yeah, to, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to talk to you. Okay. And here's, another, right. thought. here's another thought on energy. All right. Keep going. You take, that same, you take that same 50-foot uh, wire, okay. and uh, you put the loop of it you know, down on a fence post 50 foot away right. and the two leads up in your hand here and you twist that wire until you twist it all the way back up nice and tight and you've got this twisted uh, wire right. and you put one half, one of the leads to a uh, an arc gap going to the ground. The other side of the arc gap goes to the ground. Right. And then you take a little fire starter with those little click uh, piezoelectric starters on them Right. You need to start a fire, turn the gas off, but do a spark 
onto the open end of the antenna that's not referenced to ground okay. and kickstart it, kickstart it until it starts to auto-resonate. Now, because it has inductive reactants and capacitance, but at a high frequency, and because there's no uh, back EMF problem, it is between 500 and 1,000 times more friendly wow. energy it will store and resonate. And if you hit the right frequency, just kickstarting it and let it auto-resonate, it will start to build a field and it will grow, draw energy out of the atmosphere in that frequency bandwidth that itself resonating at. And you'll see arcs start to jump to ground through your gap. And then the whole trick after that is to, to put it into Tesla step-down circuits and, and use it at yeah. 120 volts. <laughs> well, I think, I think you have <laughs> given me some... Uh, <laughs> well, I know what I'm going to be doing for the next week and a half. <laughs> Uh, My bats, goodness. Bats, well, bats, yeah. Look on the internet under Bifiller, B I F I L A R, Bifiller. Uh, okay. Wire. And look at the characteristics of it. You'll have to dig a bit. It's not widely known. But you look at that, and uh, I mean, we've, one of my associates here in our Tesla group uh, has wrapped, he took two uh, DVD type um, clear plastic discs. Right. And put them uh, about an oh I think it was about a sixteenth of an inch apart, and um, then he took a bifiller wire, which was nothing more than some telephone cable, a telephone wire like in your house wiring. Yeah, from, yeah. And he he connected to make it uh, so that the current ran down the length of it, but came back up. He joined the other end, so it made that loop, and he wound that around the inside of these uh, two discs, you know, filling up the cavity. Okay. And he gets TV and radio stuff from putting that on, on onto his radio or his TV stuff you <laughs> not believe. Yeah. <laughs> I am sure. My goodness. About well, sitting here on my desk. I mean, it's just by filler and auto resonance. Um, by filler and auto resonance. All right. You want well, the thing to be able to resonate at its own frequency. You don't drive it like Tesla did. Right. The antenna drive you or your okay. step down system. Are That's you familiar with that way to look at it? Are, are you looking at? Uh, have you ever looked at T. Henry Murray's work, Doctor Murray? No, I've not. Not in any sort of extent. You've heard about it, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was a very clever fellow. He found this out himself, but he built upon what Nikola Tesla wrote and put in his patents. And in 1935, in fact, even before that, when this, uh, when Doctor uh, uh, Murray was working on this, he told people, come look at what I'm doing. I'll let you look inside my little box here that's about two foot by two foot by two foot. You can take it all apart and see how what I put in there. There's only one little small cigar box uh, that I slide into that that I won't show you. Uh, and there's an antenna outside and a ground wire here. And he says, and I'll let you see all but the secret of this little box. <laughs> and, and he had uh, attorneys, judges, sheriffs, uh, scientists, everybody look at him. He took it to Washington, tried to patent it. They said, because you can't tell us where the energy is coming from, we're not going to give you a patent for it. Right. Okay. Now, he was drawing five kilowatts day and night. No problem Jeez. at all. Five right. kilowatts. He said 10, yeah. but I'm sure it was five because of the frequency involved. But anyway. Okay. He had a, about an 85-foot antenna that he would stretch between two poles. Now, everybody was looking at the box and the little cigar box that went into it as secret to his method. Even his own son didn't know the secret because I've talked to John. <laughs> right. This guy, this guy wanted to build 
Uh, he wanted to have control over that and make money for the research he'd done. He was not stupid. Right. They wouldn't a patent, so he, he was not going to lead him to the secret. Mm -hmm. The secret was not in the box. I the, saw that come the, in. It was the Tesla coils and stuff they took apart. They said he had Tesla circuits in there, but nothing out of the ordinary capacitors, inductors. But he wouldn't let us see the little cigar box. Well, in one of the papers that he wrote himself, um, uh, he reported how the, uh, well, he didn't report this. His biographer reported that when he was showing uh, the device that uh, it, it stopped, it failed, it, it auto-detuned. And so he, as it did, it happened because someone had bumped the table where he had the box sitting and they'd, okay. heard, a, they'd heard a little tinkling sound and then it stopped. And he said, oh, just a minute, I'll fix that. And he pulled the cigar box out and turned his back around and did something or they put the lid back on it shoved it back in the slot and um, ran a magnet over two iron rods, which was, you know, magic again for the first right. viewer. Yeah. And he did it a couple of times and sure enough, it kickstarted again. He tuned it and then fine, it was power again. Now that little tingling sound was a small uh, lightweight piece of metal that was between two electrodes. And what he was doing with the, the magnet over the iron rods, he was causing that to spin yeah, to generate a high voltage spark mechanically to kickstart the magic, which was the antenna. And nobody <laughs> thought about the antenna. Oh, just the, antenna. <laughs> the antenna was the whole secret. And so, you know, I, gosh. Yeah. Well, I have not followed that guy and I will have to look more into him on your recommendation. So this has been just a splendid little uh, lesson here, which is going to kickstart the rest of my uh, experimental um, probably month and a half, two months. <laughs> Who knows where that'll go? Well, give me so, feedback if you get in trouble or if, you're, if it's oh, working, whatever. Yeah, well, I will be in contact with you for sure. So keep an eye out in your inbox there. For <laughs> We've looked at... Uh some of the mathematics of a guy named Marco Rodin and I think his name was Randy Powell. And they had basically an equation that kind of circulates. And they said that it was the, if you can, you know, move that mathematics and make it into a physical thing that they would have, you know, free energy. Have you, have you heard about them before? And no, Okay. No, but I, I tell you what, there are a number of ways to get energy out of the universe uh, and yeah. make it into electricity. One of them that is kind of out of the reach of the average home inventor is called a thermionic generator. And it is a method of extracting uh, infrared energy that's you know electromagnetic that's being transferred between atoms all the time around you. It's the right. uh, thermal background noise level between atoms. That's how they share energy. And there's a way to uh, interface with that energy with a, a, a diode referenced uh, you know, reference point so that you can trap that energy into your electric circuit, a, a tuned you know, resonant cavity. And you can steal that uh, infrared frequency and convert it to a electron motion inside of this uh, tuned uh, you know, uh, cavity. Right. And it cools the air a mass uh, around you it converts that, that that heat you're getting, which is uh, electromagnetic radiation. It's it's um, it, it's a waveform rather than vibrations or spin, right, and it converts right. that it converts that into electricity, which you can use to um, uh, cook your dinner. Um, and so, in essence, you air condition the outside of that where you're getting the thermionic transfer. Uh -huh. And one way they found to do this is uh, using uh, uh, um, oh. Uh, 
triboluminescent materials. And uh, triboluminescence are like, well, if you've ever taken a wintergreen lifesaver in the dark and broken it apart, yeah. you saw a oh, right. electric discharge. Okay, well, in the old days when TV had, you know, big screen, you know, the tubes, you know, that you looked at the tube, uh, the covering on that screen was made out of uh, various compounds of zinc, zinc oxide, zinc sulfides, whatever. And that's a triboluminescent material. So instead of breaking it, what you do is you hit it with an electron at a certain voltage and it makes a spot of light. So the electron is converted, you know, into light. Now, you can also take the reverse of that, which is the Einstein photoelectric effect. You can hit that screen with a certain frequency of light and it will generate an electron or electric flow. So now what Moray did was he used uh, some exotic uh, metals he put together and ores and things and he was able to make a triboluminescent converter in one of his cells huh. and uh, you don't need to do it the way he did it because it was it was very awkward but um, um, <laughs> the small 30-foot diameter crafts and stuff we're talking about they drive on thermoelectric generators where they produce electromagnetic radiation in the infrared band and convert it with a, a triboluminescent interface which makes electricity to power the gravitic coils and stuff Okay. And they run these things off of a, you know, probably two, three foot diameter uh, device. And uh, the device is not producing uh, real time, the amount of energy you need to uh, lift a 30 ton vehicle up and take it off at high speed. What it yeah. does is it gives you, it gives you less uh, power than that, but it gives you that power over a few seconds or minutes and you stoke it up, you, you stack the field in and around the craft and the crew until right. you reach the point where now it's got its own gravitic field. It's stored up the point. Now all you need is a little bit of energy to scoot that thing on down the road because mm. you're not having to lift it up. It's a, it's a storage system. So, wow. so does, does time get dilated or anything in that situation? Yeah. yeah. Um, when you're flying straight and level uh, at an altitude you've set your gravitic field for, um, the time is you know relatively unaffected. It's when you go to change direction to, to steer the thing. Right. That's, that's why they right. move in, in jagged motion and not curves. They go straight line, point A to point B, stop and go to a different direction. They will give a, a crew warning that they're going to make a turn. And when they go into the turn inside the craft, time dilates for them so that uh, they look out the window as they're making the turn. And if they could see people on the ground while they're making the turn, they'd see those people go just into slow motion, not moving. Right. And inside... Uh, inside the craft, well, they've got time to have a cup of tea and play a game of cards as they turn the corner. Right, and, uh, right. Now then, okay, we've turned the corner. We're going to we're going to blow off the extra energy here that we've added to the field to make the turn. Uh, you know, prepare to go back to normal time. Now on the ground, what the observer is seeing is this bright light comes up and makes a right angle turn at at uh, ten twelve thousand miles an hour and takes off the other direction. On board, they've had in that little fraction of a second. A lot of time to amortize the inertial changes to their atoms around that turn, and then you know blow off the energy as a burst of light. And you'll you'll see that a number of UFO reports have said that as it turned a corner, it seemed to go brighter for a second, and then you know do that. And right. sometimes they will go bright, and there won't be any more light at all. It'll be gone because they will have vectored at a high speed to somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. But My time goodness. does dilate. Yeah, it does dilate. And so how? <laughs> In one of these crafts, can they? Can you effectively travel to anywhere in the universe, or is there a limit? 
to uh, don't know i don't know but they certainly are interstellar uh they they using a, a, um, a thermionic uh, conversion they can also uh, um, convert energy um, uh, nuclear energy by tuning to spin resonance and um, in essence transmute a heavy element down to a lower you know a, a lighter element uh, over a period of time by stripping the energy off in, in uh, by tuning to the, the spin resonance of the outer shell of the atom mm-hmm. right and it, it uh, that way they can convert it without having stray you know uh, photons and and particles scattering through the thing have to be shielded and that kind of stuff you don't want that you just need to to take the energy out you could take lead and transmute it to gold yeah the what do they lead. usually use when they uh do well you know work they with probably use heavier like elements uh we, we, there are a number of, of exotic heavier elements um i've i've heard uh, bob lazar say that it was element 115 i don't know right. but uh it's basically something that can be hit with a um a, a, Many a stream times. of well, a stream of uh, particles, let's say, uh, waveforms, and it will produce electricity as a byproduct of that. It, right. You still need the triboluminescent interface to, to to do it, but what they're using, I don't know. And uh, but I do know it works, and they can go in that particular aspect to many places a long way from here. Right. And the speed of light is not a um, a limit velocity. It is the limit measurable velocity by an observer independent of the craft. Mm. By, by warping space ahead of you into a curl like a, like a smoke ring uh, uh, emanating from the front of your craft and curling around behind it, which is what the saucers and the uh, long tubular shapes do. Right. You can create a, um, a, a field that takes the inertial exchange between the, the sea of space and the, the, the field and your passage through it and distributes it as um, you know, heat rings behind you, way back in your, your path behind you, so that you don't overheat, and your frictional limits can be exceeded because you are breaststroking through the field at high speed. That's how you break through the uh, alleged light barrier. It is no more. It is no more than breaking through the sound barrier, except you, which is a wave situation. Mm, right. But you you have a way by propelling the craft by um, entrainment instead of propulsion. You entrain your way by pulsing your energy wave ahead of you, and so it deflects space to curl around you and to form a wow. low pressure area ahead of you and a high pressure area behind you. Right, and exactly. You to, and, and and look, Einstein um, jumped on something that the Lorenz and Fitzgerald jumped on from the Michelson Morley experiments that that proved that uh, to everybody's uh, uh, belief at the time anyway that. Um, if you shot a light beam and split it so that half of it was going out toward the right side of the of the planet and the other half was going in the direction of travel and when you reunited them from two mirrors that they would come back out of phase if the if the one on the right was traveling through a medium uh, an ether space okay there'd be a resistance right. and slow and when they got back there was no change they said well mm, obviously right. obviously we're not moving through an ether so therefore we have to uh, figure out some way to explain what's happening so Lorentz and Fitzgerald uh, uh, said, well, look, you know, we can set up an equation of square root of 1 over v squared minus 1 over v squared over c squared. And this will be our transform. And what that means is that when you approach the limit speed of light in space, that you will become infinitely flat because you're meeting your own uh, inertia reflected back at you. And, you know, that's the limit. Huh. What, they, what they did not consider at that time, but they did later, was that... <clears throat> When you are moving 
through space with an object like Earth, you will get that differential motion. You can detect it. But when the space around you is moving at the same speed you are, and it is moving you like a tea leaf spinning in a cup, right. when you stick your, your little light beams out there around your tea leaf, they're not going out far enough to measure any difference because the, the, the tea or the ether space around you is, is moving you, and you're all moving at the same speed. Right. You're right. not moving through it. Yeah. It's just a point of reference that when you do that, you don't need the Lorentz Fitzgerald uh, transform, which is the basis of Einstein's equal mc squared. And therefore, uh, you can travel faster than the speed of light, but you, you need to do it cleverly so that you don't overheat and various other things. And there, I'm sure there's probably other things we haven't, uh, you know, focused on yet as far as, um, uh, you know, Einstein-Rosen-type uh, wormhole, uh, you know, a bridge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, CERN, with the Large Hydron Collider, you know, just a couple months ago, one of the physicists were saying that, you know, once they are able to control and manipulate this God particle that they've been looking for, that they presumably found, uh, they said that the gravity is going to increase tremendously in that spot and they should actually be in, uh, be able to peer into different dimensions. And th these are like physicists saying, <laughs> saying that. Well, so, yeah. Um, yeah. What, what do you think is going on at CERN? What do you, like, what are they... Is this just kind of a, the external facade of, oh, yeah, we're, we're trying to figure out this technology and science, or is, it, or is there another agenda? I don't know if there's another agenda. I, I do know that they are uh, spending that kind of money. Um, they are trying to understand how the universe works and to prove various um, prevailing cosmological models at the time. Right, right. But, you know, to see which one of them is correct and how they can operate on it and that doing that, we might be able to access energy, uh, you know, limitless energy and the, uh, the, the Dirac, uh, Dirac or Ether C, uh, you know, around us. Um, yeah, what do they call it? The zero point energy. Right, right. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe even open parallel gateways to parallel universes and transverse back and forth between them. Um, but the, it is a type of physics that they're studying which has big payoffs in energy, you know, and which is dollars, which drives everything here on this planet. Right. But, um, yeah. Look, when the Tower of Babel was a ziggurat-type thing, a, a flat-topped uh, pyramid, and I ran across a thing which I've got on my website under my show images page, uh, which is a link to it down there by the the microphone on our front page of standale.com and you go over there and you'll see in the second row in the middle of it, it'll say the tower of babel the marduk stila and this was something the germans found and um, because of the, the war went bad for them uh, about a third of this uh, stila was destroyed but what it survived shows um from in babylon from the, a period of about 600 bc the illustration of the Tower of Babel and the architectural plans of the top floor and the side view uh, of which Marduk uh, had ordered to be built or designed. And what you see there, and, and you read some of the Sumerian uh, references as well to this type of ziggurat, is that, and, and the, the Genesis account of Nimrod and the Tower of Babel, if you look at the translation of the word Babel that they're all using, it's Bab El. In the ancient days, they all called God El for Elohim, and Bob is a doorway, so it was a doorway to God. Mm -hmm. Wow, and that's right. And at the top of it, at the high point of it, is where God 
or the gods in some cases they say, would appear and that they would have to dwell on that level of the ziggurat for a few hours and make themselves, you know, something to eat from the food that's stored up there. And then they would come down another level. And the reason for going to the level, to the level, to the level was so that they would discharge that high energy density on their atoms so that they would not hurt someone or kill them if they touched them when they got to the bottom. Hmm. And, you know, I, it, it's a gateway that even like when they talk about the angels that they came to and fro on earth through uh, Mount Hermon, uh, Har Hermon, um, that it was a high place. And uh, when Jacob lay down on top of the mountain and slept on that stone and he saw the angels going to and fro uh, right next to him there when he woke up and he stopped one of them and he had a wrestling battle with him and whatever and it dislocated his hip and he became Israel after that. The whole thing was they're all on high places and they they need to change their energy density to touch us. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it huh. hurt us. Right. Just fascinating stuff. I mean, I'm sorry that they destroyed so much of this in the in the war, but uh, it's now in a museum, I think, in, uh, well, I want to say Norway or some, one of the Scandinavian countries, I think it's where this, this private museum has the piece. Really? But you can see the cuneiform on it, and I've outlined in red on the, the stela the floor plan of the top part of it and the side view what has survived um but it's it's a fascinating thing yeah like, absolutely. an actual stargate if you wish you know the going to and fro through a stargate yeah, right yeah absolutely but this is a dimensional gate this is this is cool yeah <laughs> my goodness now why do you think i mean well perhaps there are things like that being um, you know in place today being used by maybe some of the occultists or anybody well, I mean they're trying they're trying and um, the I know this because um, uh, I was contacted when I was still in Perth by an individual that uh, I don't know who all was a member of his um, coven uh, but he was a Tesla coil builder but he was building it in a big empty warehouse down by the docks in Fremantle, right. an old an old thing over a hundred years old that had uh, cells underneath it, uh, which were usually for grain storage and and ship cargo storage in the old days. But this thing was no longer being used, and here he is in the middle of this huge, big, like factory, like big warehouse. And you know, he said, "Come and and I want to talk to you about your Tesla coils." and I uh, heard you did one coil back in, in Dallas that was a different kind that actually caused light to bend, and I want to talk to you about that. So I said, okay. So my friend Kim and I went out there to <laughs> see his place, and um, we're both Christians, and uh, that's one of the reasons I had Kim go with me, because I knew I was walking into something that wasn't going to be clever. Right, right. And so we knocked on this big iron door and knocked, and pretty soon it slides. <laughs> and, he says, oh, okay, yeah, come on in, uh, follow me back to the office. And there's this little office space, maybe 15 by 20 feet in the middle of this big factory. And, you know, light desks and everything, but there's this beautiful Tesla coil he's built. And he turns it on for me, and it's one of the best ones I've ever seen. This thing sang. It was smooth. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you talk about that. It's yeah. kind of like one of those car guys who are like really into cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you, you got your own thing, man. I like yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. I, mean, I, would, I would probably have the same uh, reaction. Well, so, But so we're looking at this Tesla coil. And he says, now, the reason I got you here, this guy, he says, is this donut coil here you built something similar to this. I said, yeah, I did. I had two axis wind plus a third axis spin to 
you know, I was looking at a gravity control, but it actually bent the light in the room and I felt like I was being pulled into it. It was just the, the illusion of every, all the light bending in toward me in the coil before it burned out, but I couldn't get it to work again. Right. He said, I've had the same problem with mine. I said, oh, yeah. And he showed me what he had there. And he says, uh, you know, it's possible that you can gateway to a parallel universe or something like this if you get the pulse just right. <laughs> well, now I'm thinking, well, now that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that exactly that way, but okay. <laughs> well, now he's talking to me and I'm, he's facing me, but behind him is my friend Kim looking at this guy's desk and the papers on the wall doing a bit of snooping. And Kim catches my eye with his hand and raises up a calendar and behind it on the wall is Hebrew written down for the word sword. And I thought, okay, Hebrew. Uh -huh. Okay, witchcraft, they use that, the Solomonic rites. Mm -hmm. And then he went over to the desk, uh, you know, still behind this guy, the guy couldn't see it, and he raised up another piece of paper, more Hebrew on it. And this stuff was all hidden around there. So Kim thinks, well, maybe he'll go take a, a wander through the factory. So he says to the guy, uh, look, um, you mind if I, do you have a, a John here somewhere? I, I got to take a leak real bad. Yeah, he says, well, now, look, just go exactly where I tell you. Don't deviate. You'll get lost. Go down in that corner there and turn left and go all the way down there and you'll find it. So Kim disappears for a while. And I keep talking to the guy about, you know, his problems with his uh, gateway coil and stuff. And Kim comes back, you know, a few minutes later. And uh, he says, uh, look, uh, I, he's right. The toilet's down there. You'll, you, you can find it easy. Why don't you go take a leak? Hint, hint, wink, wink. Right. And, I, and his eyes were big. And he says, he whispered as I went past him, he says, you'll see a door down there. Look on the right. And so I went on down there, down the hallway and out of sight. And there was a doorway there with a little kind of triangular or like a, a rhomboid type piece of glass in it, you know, like a parallelogram. Yeah. And I looked through it and the hair on the back of my neck stood straight out. It was the goat head up over the throne of whoever was the master of the coven, the circle. No, of the wow. A, no. You know, like audience seats up on the side. And oh I put the goodness. pieces together. Holy cow, this guy is trying to gateway demons or whatever yeah. into those cells down beneath. Oh, and, my goodness. Oh, wow. <laughs> out there. But I'll tell you what, they are trying to do it. And uh, right. they've got some wow. clever people working on it. He brought you in to try to fix his problems so he yeah. could uh, teleport <laughs> yeah. some demons into the. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness! Wow, it's strange stuff. Absolutely, my goodness. Well, that is just tremendous. That is <laughs> so awesome. I mean, just the story. Just my goodness. Has anyone well, approached you to make this make your stories into some kind of, you know, a, 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 I don't know. Some kind they, of. I think they call them movie uh, talkies now. Gone. Talkies. <laughs> I just think it would be fascinating to to uh, you know have you in in the in the director's seat there and and sort of recreate some of those experiences. Well, someone someday. Who was it? Some guy approached me here recently from Hollywood uh, to be a technical advisor on something that he's doing. A Christian fellow, but. Um, he was going to work in some of my stuff into his storyline. I'm not sure whether he will or get the funding or not. But right. um, other than that, no. Um, I did approach um, uh, Spielberg's people because uh, he was in a documentary that I was in a few years back, and right. the uh, I, and his graphic studio uh, 
we talked to the, to one of the senior execs there, and he said, "Look, we're, we're not going to be able to do it." And he says, "The reason is, we know what you're saying is good value, but uh, we'll lose about eighty five percent of our income because they're government contracts, and they won't allow us to make the movie like that." Mm. So right. there you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, been kind of subtly, uh, you know, danced with, but they're not going to take me home after the dance. <laughs> Well, life's a tease sometimes. So, well, yeah, we're not going to be here long enough to make a movie anyway. I think things are going to happen that one way or another that those of us that think like this are not going to be here anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I, I hear that now. Okay. So I know you do, you, you do a lot of interviews and, um, I've taken a look through your, your archive you got there. And, uh, uh but I mean, is, is there something that people don't ask you about enough um, that you, you just got to get off your chest. Well, I'm giving you this chance. I don't give everybody this chance. So you can take a, you know, take well, it for what it is. In the, in the Christian community, in the Christian right. community, there is. It, they, I get, you know, the odd phone call and email and stuff um, and DVDs that are sent from people that say, you're leading the flock astray by saying right. there's going to be a, a pre-trib rapture. Right. And, you know, uh, I haven't pr produced a formal, you know, discussion on the, on the internet. I just didn't want to, you know, buy into having to waste time on the argument. But okay. um, I I look at it like a a detective looks at trying to solve a murder. You follow the money. Who who would gain from the the death of this person? You see, mm -hmm. right? Now I look at the rapture issue. Who would gain if the Christian Church is told? you're going to have to go through seven years of tribulation, real hell, and your head get cut off, you see. You're mm. going to have to go through that. Well, that's going to demoralize the Christians, and Satan's side would gain from that. That's where the money would go there. Okay. Now, that's a post-tribulation rapture, and a no-rapture issue would be the same thing. What about you're going to have to go through three and a half years of the tribulation, and a lot of you are going to be beheaded during that time, locked up and killed, you know, yeah, that's going to demoralize a lot of people and move them away from the faith a bit because they're frightened and they'll join you know, the, the New World Order or whatever to, to not be dead. Mm -hmm. The ones that say, here's the good news, as the Bible says, encourage each other with this good news. The rapture yeah. is going to come just after the man of sin is revealed at the beginning of his seven years, and you will be out of there. Right. Now that's good news. All the other right. viewpoints are demoralizing. They right. are they are, they are to break the church apart. Okay. And if if we were wrong, you know, uh, and I have no doubt in my mind. But if I were wrong on the timing of the rapture, you know, at the beginning rather than the middle of the end, I'm not going to get any special favors from anybody else. And Holly and I tell people stock up preparations, make ready for bad times, to endure as long as you can. So we tell them. There, w there will be a delay. There will be a time that you have to endure until he comes, until right. his, his friends come for the rapture to, to take you off. But just as he did for Noah, Noah made provision. And when the time came, God, his angels sealed him into the ark, and they went off into the, uh, the flood zone, and they survived. Yeah. This time, because the earth is going to be destroyed by fire and terrible war and all kinds of stuff that's just going to make the planet almost uninhabitable. There's no safe place on earth. That's why we're caught up in clouds into the air to be with the Lord wherever he is. 
you're getting out of here because there's no place for him to, to give us a sucker here on the planet at that time. Right. And the Holy Spirit does indwell the, the church, the believers. And when it is removed, which it, and it's restraining the Antichrist at the moment, then the church goes with it because that's where it's it's inhabiting the church. Uh -huh. Right. right. Um, there are just so many things. I mean, that, that if people really seriously study this, they'll see that it's absolutely true. It's not a New Testament hoax. It didn't get started 200 years ago by Darby. The Jewish Bible in the Torah has it back in the, the tale of Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham sends his own servants over to a foreign land to get the bride, choose the bride for his son Isaac, and to bring the bride back to him. And this is the the, the pattern of the rapture. If you look at the ancient, most ancient uh, uh, Israel marriage and uh, courtship and marriage ceremonies, you will see that they, they tell you about how a deal is made with the father by the, the groom. And after that deal is sealed and paid for, uh, there's a shaking of hands and the groom has from that moment forward to a year later, any time in that period of time, to come back for the bride after he has built a, a habitation for him and his bride at his father's house. Uh -huh. When his father gives him permission to come back and get the bride, then the groom can come back. But until that time, the bride lives with her parents and she and her bridesmaids, some of them stay with her, uh, have their oil lamps lit until midnight every night, waiting for him, looking for him. And when he does come, he doesn't come into the house. He sends his friends into the house to get the bride, to steal her away, put a veil over her head so no one can see who she is or, 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 and, and where she's going. They take her out and they meet the, the, the groom out there then and off they go. Now, the parents in the traditional ceremony uh, will wait up, and when, when the, the friends of the groom come in to steal the bride away, their daughter, they will be sure that it's the right guys and not some turkey trying to steal their daughter and get away with it. So <laughs> they're the good guys. And then, okay, off they go, and they go through the town in the night, and people know something's happened because they're all happy and cheering and whatever and, and singing, and they are going to a place where they're going to have seven-day uh, wedding feast. But the bride and the groom go into the hut, the marriage hut, at the, at, the, at the wedding party to get to know each other. They're apart from the guests for that time until they come out and the, and the marriage has been uh, consummated. Now, the seven days of the wedding feast is the seven years of the tribulation. They go out away from here at the beginning of that period. And that, that whole tale is told in the wedding ceremony, which is why Jesus made such references to the the virgins waiting for their groom in the night, keeping their oil lamp lit, and the yeah. five unwise ones didn't have enough faith, oil, whatever provision, did not have enough to endure, and didn't keep looking and lost the faith, and they lost going with the groom. Now, and there's just there's so many things that point yeah. to this, that, and it's a pre-trib thing. And uh, if the man of sin has to be revealed before the rapture can occur, then that means that. It's at the beginning of the seven-year period. And that seven-year period will start when Israel is attacked by uh, Russia. And the, the Russian army and, and the Germans, whoever else helping in that Gog, Magog invasion, will die on the mountains of northern Israel, a strange death. And for seven years after that army has been destroyed, Israel will burn the weapons of war that are left behind for firewood 
Now, that seven years is the seven years of the tribulation, which means that that invasion comes at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. Right, right, because they're, huh. they're going to be looking for, that's right, I, th- I think there's a passage talking about looking for. They will be burying the dead for seven months. Right, right, that's right, that's right. And, and the, they, will, they will send uh, scouts out to find the dead bodies and to mark them for the burial detail to go take care of. It's because I think that whatever kills the Russian army is going to be a bio agent or a chemical agent of some sort that the bodies need to be disposed of properly to, you know, keep people from getting killed or sick uh, after the fact. Mm, right. um, let's see, what was that? That would be uh, seven years. I'll just look up the verse for you here. Uh, and uh, burn, I think it is. Let me see. Uh, yeah. Mm, uh, Okay, Ezekiel 39.9. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. Wow, that's right. Uh, Uh, Well, there we go. Well, it's, it's a, I mean, you can see the, the thing that will cause the hooks to be put in the jaws of Gog and Magog and draw them down into the Middle East is a treaty by, with Russia and, say, Iran and Turkey or some of those areas, the, the Lebanon to, and Syria, to come down and defend them when they're attacked by Israel in this case and by destroying the United States' ability to strike. Right. People depend on God to save Israel instead of uh, America. Right, uh, right. And let's see, heathen shall no... Take no wood out cut down for the, and they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoil them, and rob those that rob them. Um, Amon Gog, Hamon Gog. Anyway, you, you look yeah. in Ezekiel in those areas, and you'll see that it's uh, fascinating when you look at it in English and, and Hebrew as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, Stan, thank you so much for this time. Yeah, definitely. And uh, this has just been a, a great conversation and a nice little science uh, lesson in there, in the middle mm-hmm. there for everybody and myself. So this has just been so much fun. Thanks again for coming on to the show. Well, I like talking about this. Thank you for inviting me, guys. Absolutely. And uh, Stan Deo, everybody, make sure to go to standeo.com and check out everything he's got there. Just a a wealth of information. So make sure to do that. Check out his book, The Cosmic Conspiracy, and all sorts of other stuff there. Once again, thank you so much. We're going to have to have you on again some other time to talk about some, uh, at least a little bit more detail, some of the the things that we skipped over in the beginning. But um, okay, again, be very, fun. very fun. You get Gonzo <laughs> to give me an email, or you do it, Baz, and we'll, uh, we'll tee it up. Thank we'll you. do Sounds that, good. and I will keep in contact, and I'll let you know if I uh, singe off any eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me, let me, all right. Well, uh, I was building a Tesla coal back in Perth before, you know, doing the book and everything. I had a, a, a house by myself, and um, uh-huh. uh, I had, I was doing some experiments in um, one of the bedrooms of the house that I, you know, use for building that kind of stuff. And I was trying to build a Tesla coil and use an old TV tube I got out of the junk pile right. to be my capacitor. And okay. uh, I figured, well, this would be really good. It's a perfect capacitor. <laughs> and so I was trying to tune the coil and the little uh, worms of voltage were jumping up, probably 50, 60,000 volts were crawling up the outside of my coil. And it was detuned, obviously. And so right. oh, I was 
And I put a new ground on that, didn't do it. This is at night one evening. Finally, I gave up and said, well, I'll figure it out tomorrow. I went to bed. I went out uh, next morning to get the uh, newspaper and the mail. Yeah. Uh, and the next door neighbor was a nurse and her, she and her husband and kids lived there. And she came out, she was getting her mail and newspaper. And she says, Hey, um, were you watching any TV last night? I said, no. Why? She says, well, we were sitting in the living room and the darndest thing happened. Uh, the TV started, the image started to roll and, uh, and you know, black lines and, and uh, you know, rolling picture. And at the same time, we heard odd noises in our kitchen. And when we went in there and opened up our oven where the noise was coming from, electricity was jumping in the air and that little that little heater thing that that filament that runs around the bottom of it oh, said, oh, no. oh really she yeah it blew up the, the stove i said oh really was it insured <laughs> she said oh yeah we've got insurance i said oh good <laughs> well see ya bye <laughs> i never said anything about but i was transmitting waves that were detuned but the, her oven was picking it up <laughs> right and, oh, and, gosh, that's well the the guys that play with broadcast power, like with the Navy and some of them that, that have been building these things for a number of years, they were testing it in a country area uh, for Project Sanguin. Yeah. And um, they were, you know, broadcasting Tesla-type waves out. And one of the farmers complained that he knew it was something to do with the base because he, he started sitting on his toilet to do a number two, and an uh -huh. arc would jump out and bite him in the butt. Uh. <laughs> and... Uh, it was because the the cavity in the toilet and the grounding of it was tuned to the frequency <laughs> right. of absorbing Gosh. energy and, and shocking him. Right. Well, another one of the farmers uh, in that area was out working on his hay shed, which is, you know, insulated uh, post uh, supporting, a you know, a tin roof. And he was up putting on tin shield, you know, tin uh, roofing panels. Mm -hmm. And he kept getting charged up like, like when you comb your hair with a comb and put a piece of paper out, it gets charged up and dances off. Right. He kept getting charged up and sliding off and falling down the barnyard. <laughs> so he complained to him about this, and they said, oh, well, here, we'll make this little uh, conductive belt you wear around your middle, and we'll put a chain down to the ground on the bottom, and as long as you wear that chain, you can work on your roof, and it won't hurt. That's so hilarious. that was the solution, but uh, so funny. they were doing the same kind of nonsense I was, I guess. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's so funny. Well, wish me luck then. And uh... <laughs> When you... Uh, when you get off here, uh, Baz, go to my uh, my show images page, and at the top you'll see missile missile shield anomaly, a picture of the Earth and a little donut thing, and that's interesting to read and all that kind of stuff. But go down to the very bottom where that link takes you, and see the links I've given at the very bottom. Uh, they're they're hot wired into the um, the images on Google Earth with the latitude and longitude, and I will show you one of the biggest Tesla fields ever made by the navy in west australia really? it's a mile a mile across it's a big thing with 13 towers oh my goodness okay you're, i think i'm looking at it right now all right you see what i'm talking about nice. test site number five with 13 towers yeah yeah if you go to that area on google earth and start sliding down the coast slowly at that zoom you will see about eight or nine other older tests they did before they built that one mm. i goodness. have actually one of the um or in fact, a couple of the capacitor tubes out of that unit you're looking at, the 13 Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at it. My goodness. That is amazing. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of them there, and I even found one over in California, too. Really? Yep. Wow. See, this is the kind of stuff we need to be... We I'm, need to I'm go on visit a, this I'm, tower in Yeah, California. I'm on a road trip right now, by the way, Stan, and 
I'm just, I need to plan a different road trip just to go try to get into these places without getting arrested. <laughs> and that looks like a lot more fun than what I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah, well, and we all knew about it. I mean, when they fired up that 13 tower, you know, I had one of the Navy guys, it was my, an American, it was my neighbor, uh, and uh, he'd worked on the, the tower. And, all right. uh, he said at night when they'd fire that thing up, it'd be like St. Elmo's fire. The whole thing would glow in oh, the sky. My gosh, I'm sure. Oh, they had, uh, I forget how many kilowatts they were pumping into that sucker, but boy, it lit up the sky. That's <laughs> crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's so awesome. Okay. Well, we need, we got just real quick, we got to get um, just a real solid ending to the show. Okay. All right. So I'll give those a try for sure. And so, yeah, wish me luck on that. There, uh, Stan. Uh, uh, you never know. <laughs> okay. Take two. Take two. All right. <laughs> this is reminding me of the gecko and the the, the interns commercial. Do you want my, yeah. Yeah. my dramatic approach? Or? <laughs> oh my goodness! It's it's three o'clock over here. And okay, so all right. That's good. Don't look at me. Just just do your line. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll say. Wish me luck. You say good luck. Okay, you ready? Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, so wish me luck, Stan. Okay, Baz, and don't sense the eyebrows. Okay, everyone. Well, thanks again for tuning in to another wonderful uh, episode here of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in again. And until then, think outside the cage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. The show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com. Make sure to connect and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio. Follow us on Twitter at canarycryradio. If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. Review us on iTunes with five stars and give us a thumbs up on stumbleupon.com. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting canarycryradio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember to think outside the cage. All right. Wow, we really <sighs> did. Nice. Good job. My uh, goodness. Thanks, Dan. Oh, I was doing a documentary over in Belgrade. Well, that's where we were filming at the time, but uh, for Australian crew one time. Right. And these turkeys, they had me doing a reverse, uh, an interview I'd already done, but they were doing reverse shots. Uh -huh. And behind the cameraman was the director who had had some really good Jack Daniels a few hours before. <laughs> and he, he, he was putting a little floating duck up over the head there and doing all kinds of nonsense. And <laughs> I couldn't get my lines straight to save myself. And after about five tries, you know, you couldn't even say your name right on camera, you know. Right. No, it's just, it gets worse every time, too. You just can't stop giggling. I know. I know. And oh they still got away with stuff behind me. When I looked at the at the, the rushes on it, he'd, uh, they'd been, one of them had made a little aluminum foil hat with antennas on it. And oh, he, he was popping up behind me, you know, it wasn't right. <laughs> and I didn't know this. I couldn't see it because he was behind me. And, and it looked so oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So do, do you do a lot of um, 
documentary stuff like that? Or? Oh, I did in the past. I yeah. I haven't. Uh, well, I've done some where they came here and filmed uh, with uh, Lynn Marzulli's group and with uh, <laughs> Patty Heron's group and uh, uh, the odd one here and there like that. Yeah, but right. um, mm -hmm. uh, I just right. haven't pursued it because there were so many other things that uh, that I felt were more important to to, right. to pursue. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say. Um, Gons and I here, I mean, mostly Gons, but we're we're going to be working on Age of Deceit 2 here. And um, it, it had been in production, um, but has recently suffered a disaster. So um, we're gonna, just going to be redoing some things. And, What's Age um, of Deceit? Is it a video or a DVD or what? Uh, it's, right. a, it's just a, it's a video on YouTube um, yeah. that I put out, uh, let's see, September 2011. All right. And um, yeah, check it out because it's, it's got 1.7 million views right now. So, oh, wow. Yeah. It's been wow. surprising, not surprisingly, that's the wrong word, but it has well, it's been, been surprising very, to me. So, su very surprisingly successful. Um, and so, yeah, Gans had been working very hard on Age of Deceit 2, um, much anticipated by fans, um, but has recently suffered a computer disaster, which has put us back at square one. Oh no! Um, didn't destroy your your mix, did it? It it. I lost about a half hour of uh, what I was working on. So, oh. yeah, <laughs> it pretty... yeah. Which which translate to about thirty hours of work. <laughs> yeah. I know. So yeah. Well, you know, we on that documentary I was talking about, we were horsing around like that. It was on Tesla, and we shot like oh gosh, like seven to one ratio on what we right. used, and yeah, all of our masters were burned in a fire after we got the thing finished and produced, and, oh, and there was one. One of the guys that was storing it to his his um, studio caught fire and burned all of our masters. We never recovered from wow. that. But. Yeah. Oh my! The thing with the film is that you know the first one I tackled a lot of secret society stuff, but but on the, on this one you know we really want to tackle some different stuff. But one of them that I've been trying to figure out a way to work in is this concept of free energy and like ether and all right. this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I mean. You know, well, and that's what I was thinking, Gons, was a huge part of the Zeitgeist movies, which is the new agey sort of yeah, film. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar, Stan. Yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, a large part of their film is the whole free energy type of thing and how that's going to lead us well, into the golden age. Between between that movie and Thrive, right, and there's Thrive. been a lot of... And that's, which a, is that's, also, a, that's a problem, though. I don't want to just recreate Thrive. You know, cause right, they sort well, that's of explain, what I mean, is if we if we come at it from a, you know, a Standeo biblical, more, you know... That's true. ...point of view well, from a guy who's been around it, it'll will be... Because I, I believe addressing the tech, technological part of the the system that everybody is being programmed into is a huge part yeah. of, um, and you know keeping everybody in the light when it comes to the, the coming events. So you know, maybe, there's a, they're so simple. There's a three or four different ways, maybe five, I guess, to get electricity out of the atmosphere. I mean, right. you can run a wire up the side of your mountain. If you live at the base of a mountain, you run it up so that its altitude is about 1,000 to 1,200 feet above you. And yeah. you can put a bunch of aluminum foil or some kind of metal collectors that are insulated you know, from the dirt. Right. Connect it into that wire and you get insulated wire, You know, bring it down to the bottom right. and... and have a ground stake and, and you'll get um, in that situation about um, 30,000 volts continuous. Well, here's something I was just real quick was I was doing the same sort of thing, the same uh, Teslonian uh, uh, thing with the uh, uh, aluminum plate 
and um, insulated it and had it. Um, I, I think my problem may have been that the plate was too small. Um, but then, you know, bring it uh, down to a ground with a, uh, oh, what's the circuit called? I'm not sure exactly. What An the extra coil or what? Uh, you know, it's, it, it serves the same purpose, but shoot, if I just could remember the name of the thing. Anyways, it's a Tesslonian, one of his... Um, yeah, he had a pattern where he had that little flat plate up the top, and uh, that's the one. He ran it down to a, a Tesla step down the circuit and a ground. Exactly, and, you know. exactly. Um, and I'm, but what he didn't—he didn't put everything in the patent. I knew it. I know, and it's bothering me so much. Do you do you have the answer for me, or well, <laughs> his, his, to... yeah, his extra coil was a, a bifiller wind. Okay. Uh, if you, I've got probably one of the biggest collections of his work here and stuff that they even gave me over at the Belgrade Museum when we were filming there. Right. I'm just looking at my shelf, probably a foot and a half, two foot of books and papers and patents and documents. Right. And I got to, to read his, his stuff that's never been published of his letters at Belgrade. Right. We, we bribed a, an attendant there and they <laughs> locked me into the room with all the photos and all the personal gear, his top hat, his cane, uh, you know, uh, letters from the hotel, New Yorker, where he was. And, and these were, I couldn't write anything. I could only memorize stuff, but, um, so I came away with a lot of good information. I was going to say, I mean, if you ever feel like getting back into your old James Bond uh, bribing security guards and <laughs> and uh, this special business here and you need a sidekick, just give me a holler. Uh, uh, well, I, I guess, uh, do you have ulcers or anything at the moment? <laughs> no, I'm in, uh, <laughs> in top health here. James Bond might be cool, uh, calm and collected and everything, but uh, I'll tell you what, there were times where my tummy was doing a flip-flop morning when I was oh, going to get away I'm, with this. I'm sure, I'm sure, man, but I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's something not everybody gets to experience, and, you know, li knowing the reality that you and I do uh, about the, you know, the world in which we live, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you can either live the normal life or, uh, you know, your time sneaking onto uh, military test sites and uh, discovering yes, the mysteries yes. of the universe. Oh, so. look, we've, uh, Holly and I have done a few things since we've gotten together that, um, where we a had a little husband and wife. Uh, oh, yes, yes. oh, well, <laughs> we, oh, <that's> <laughs> well, guys, like I better get some sleep. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right. No, thank you so much again. And, um, uh, you know, I hope we talk to you soon. Okay, well, email me, guys, and uh, thank you. So all much. right, guys, talk to I'm you gonna man. hang up. Talk all to right, you later. thanks, Bye-bye. Night, night.